0: So today's reading is uh, The Baptism of, of Jesus by John the Baptizer, as it says, and this sort of marks the beginning of Jesus' public life and ministry. Um, not much, we don't really know much at all about this Jesus and Nazareth figure in terms of like his childhood or his teenage years or his 20s. Um, the Gospels, the four Gospels, really don't say anything at all except one weird story where Jesus is like some religious nerd and he like runs away from home so he could go and talk to priests. Um, which is a thing that kids do, I suppose, uh, which made him special, maybe. But when I was uh, in, in grad school, and we had to learn uh, Koine Greek, which is the language that the New Testament is written in, and I was notorious for um, skipping class, which you I say, up. well, yes, yeah, not waking up. <laughs> skipping class because I didn't wake up. In my defense, I was pretty good at it until winter quarter. Um, they, they stuck these classes at 8 a.m. I don't know why. And so it would be 8 a.m. And I would wake up, I'd look at my phone, and it would be like zero degrees. And I would say, like, there's no way I'm going to class. So I wouldn't go. And in order for me to not to fail, I begged the professor, like, please, can you give me, like, a makeup assignment or something? And so uh, he gave me this really long and arduous translation I had to do. The translation was the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Um, and if you've heard about it, it's quite the quite the tale Uh, as I was translating I found myself cursing and in surprise like constantly because so this is the story is in that in that gospel is kid christ as I I like to call him and uh, kid christ was like a bratty petulant child like many children are but he also had godlike powers as a bratty child and so like one story is like a kid bumps into him on the street and Jesus gets upset and so he kills him. He, like, curses him, and the kid dies. And then the parents, like, come to Jesus's parents, like, dude, uh, your kid killed our kid. And then Jesus, like, strikes the parents blind. And I was reading this, and I'm like, wow, there's no wonder this was rejected from um, inclusion into the canon. So there's not much, there's not much we know beyond strange stories like that. And so this, in Mark, you know, Mark starts off, it doesn't even have, like, the Christmas story, it just, immediately Jesus shows up on the scene, the baptism happens, the symbol, uh, the start of his ministry, like I said, um, where he's ceremoniously plunged into, into the water, he emerges a new person, uh, ready to live this new kind of life. I'm not here today to really talk about the finer points of baptism and theologically what that might mean, if you want to have a conversation with me about that, I'd be happy to do it over many, many drinks, but uh, today I'd rather focus on this idea of Christ starting his ministry, right, this idea of a new beginning. Uh, it's, re- it's, it's pretty cliche, I think, to talk about New Year's and talk about new beginnings as like this, you know, special thing. Um, so I'm trying to resist all my temptations to be like a cynical, um, millennial, ironic person, and really Allow, allow that new thing, this idea of a new thing in a new year, actually means something. It's an opportunity for us. When I was in college, I remember listening to this album um, by Death Cat for Cutie, Transatlanticism. It's a very important album in my life. And the first song is called The New Year. And the opening line of that song is, um, so this is the new year and I don't feel any different, right? And I was, you know, I was 19. I was this like emo college kid. I had like Radiohead posters all over my wall. I remember hearing that line, I was like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah, like New Year's sucks, you know, like, I don't feel any different. Um, And I don't want to think that way anymore, being 12 years removed from that. And so I want to say that New Year's, I think, is actually a fantastic opportunity for us to um, resolve ourselves to be different or live differently, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me now that I'm a little older, uh, hopefully a little bit more mature, why we would hate on people who wanna set goals uh, for themselves to be better people. Like you hear someone be like, yeah, I wanna be healthier. And you hear that and you're like, oh, screw that person. Like resolutions are stupid. I hope they just like eat shitty every day and die soon. Like why, why should we have that kind of cynical mentality, right? Like to w- aspire to actually want to improve one's life I think is um, a really beautiful thing. So Neil in his, his talk last week, if you were there, I thought really beautifully challenged us to look at the idea of a resolution uh, both as a sense of doing something differently and also looking at the world with a new type of resolution, right? He sort of used resolution as we would talk about, like um, technology and screens and that sort of thing, like looking at the world differently. So I'm sort of piggybacking on that idea by pointing at Christ, looking at the beginning of his ministry um, and seeing what we can see from there about kind of goals we want to set for ourselves for this year. In Christian... Theological debates is, as I'm sure many of you here are very well aware, Christology is this, like, hot-button thing. And I use hot-button in quotes because, like, most people don't really care about it, but, like, people like us care about it. So Christology is this debate. And Christology means it's basically a study of, like, the nature and person of Jesus Christ. And usually the debate centers around this question. how, How much like God was Jesus, right? Was Jesus just a dude, a regular man, or was he a divine being? And in this spectrum, uh... This is your theological education for today. They, they use terms like a high Christology and a low Christology, right? A high Christology is a Christology that's like Jesus was straight up God and um, just like God is God. And, you know, Gnosticism is an example of like an extreme version of that where like God is so God that, or Jesus was so God-like that his humanness was sort of him acting, playing it out. Like, when they crucify him, he has to, like, pretend it hurts. It doesn't really hurt because he's God. He's more of a spirit. And on the other side is, like, a low Christology, right? They call it a low Christology where Jesus is, just like, this really good dude, right? He's this really good dude who did a lot of good things. But he was not any different than any other person. He was just a, a person who did a lot of good things, right? And usually they refer to this low Christology as Christ as the moral, 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 moral exemplar, moral exemplar, right? Now, high and low is not supposed to really be, um, they're supposed to be, I think, in spirit value neutral terms, they're not supposed to be like one is better than the other. But it's common to hear a criticism where someone will say, um, when they're criticizing a a, a theological thinker, like, oh, this person, their Christology uh, is whacked, it's so low, Christ is merely a moral exemplar, and, and so they're going to hell, I don't like that, or whatever. right? And so people generally view a low Christology a moral exemplar, Christ, in a, in a negative way. You know, for me, I think that this, this, com- this uh, question about Christ's divinity is really actually important, and a lot of my own religious beliefs hinge on how to answer that question. But I'm annoyed by the fact that when you have that discussion, um, to paint that, quote-unquote, low Christology in this way, I think obscures a really important aspect of Jesus' life. Right? I, want to, I want to reject the judgmental smugness where one would say, like, oh, he is merely or just a moral exemplar. As if uh, saying that sort of excuses us from the importance of that thing. Right? If we could actually follow Christ as a moral exemplar and do as Christ did, I would consider that a great victory um, and one worthy of us striving for. And so, at the start of this year, again, uh, this goal, I think, I'm trying to, Paint a new beginning becoming more like Jesus seeing the life of Jesus as one to imitate um, is where i'm going where's where I'm getting at right now so uh, what is it what is the thing that I want to say about Jesus' life that I think is important well there's obviously like a lot of stuff like Jesus did a lot of things and he was amazing person in so many ways um, for me as I as I again are trying to frame this in terms of um, Looking into a new year, uh, we have an opportunity as this as 2016 is is before us, lies before us, has not been yet written. Um, to sort of, in the way that Christ was baptized, to become like beginners again, to sort of start over, to get into the mindset of beginning a new journey, uh, being baptized, if you want to put it that way, sort of ceremoniously plunging ourselves into uh, the water, which would be ice cold tonight's in. Emerging anew in this in a way that we're ready to live differently, and I think that's um, sort of the spirit at which uh, it's important for me to attack this this new year. This opportunity, I think, also you know it benefits from a, uh, being ritualized, it benefits from being marked as a kind of spiritual practice. Um, last again last week, Neil gave us this, these cards, these prayer cards that we wrote down. Uh, did anybody actually succeed in uh, sort of doing them. We got a half-raised hand there. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I actually did it. I did it like every day. And, and if you know me, that's a shock, a surprising shock. I really, I, I actually really found it to be the first spiritual discipline in practice that was like offered that I was like, oh, it's not dumb, you know. So, I've been trying to do that. Um, I think that if we have a mentality that we're starting over, that we're beginning again, um, what it, what we need to do is break what is basically, you know, the default for the way that humans think, right? Which is um, that whatever religious belief or spiritual orientation or philosophical conviction or political ideology, like we are creatures who quickly become calcified in our thinking that um, are eager to turn something new and something revelatory into uh, legalism, into dogmatism, to really um, settle in some ways in the way that we think about things. And so I think this is true, just as true of like, you know, conservative fundamentalist Christians out there that um, we feel are like, are not open-minded just as much as it is for the supposedly open-minded and free thinking and um, uh, hippie-ish or whatever, like atheists who's, whose hatred or disgust of religious people quickly becomes its own sort of uh, orthodoxy as well. And so, if I look at Jesus' life, there's just one aspect I'm trying to pull out here as we're talking, is this uh, continual reminder that we never quite can pin down what is happening, that we can never quite pin down a certainty of thought or belief. Um, You know, it never made a lot of sense to me as, as, you know, I grew up in the church, like, why, if Jesus was the son of God, why the hell didn't he have, like, a scribe just, like, follow him around and, like, write down everything he did? Why do we have these, like, gospels written, you know, 30, 60, 80 years after he died with all these various accounts? Like, some forethought on Jesus' part would have been nice, right? Or, um, or I used to think, like, why, why does he keep talking in these parables, right? It's like, these parables are confusing as hell, they're so confusing that even like the people who like spent all their time with him were like, What the hell are you talking about, Jesus? Like, just tell us what you mean. Why I don't want to know what a mustard I don't want to try to think about what a mustard seed is. So, but that's the sort of way that Jesus operated in his ministry, right? The very trappings of our religious life, Christianity today, uh, ingrained in these canons and in these creeds and in the Bible and in the liturgical structures of worship. For Jesus, were irrelevant, if not antithetical, to his ministry. And I think that um, that's a point that we need to constantly remember, right? And we, uh, we have here, I think, an example of a life pursued, a life pursued, which is Jesus' life, with openness, with flexibility, with love, um, that again, if we could actually emulate, we would be better for it. It would be a really good goal to have. Right, and so... Uh, doing this is to approach this new year with um, an acknowledgement that we're always sort of becoming who we're striving to be, that we're always sort of starting over again, um, and realizing and not never fooling ourselves into thinking that we have things figured out. So when I was at when I was home for Christmas this last two weeks ago, it seems like a month ago, right? But a couple weeks ago, I was home for Christmas. I contracted an illness, um, which if you know me is not unusual. For some reason, I'm constantly sick. It's, and I, it was a, but it was like a weird 24-hour flu or something like that. And so I, I had this high fever. Um, and during that time, I was like, you know, I was, my body was boiling and I was very weak. I'm lying in bed. And without shame, I allowed my mother to tend to me like I was 10 years old again. Um, I'm a 31-year-old man. I say man <laughs> with some trepidation, but... Um, <laughs> I allowed my mother to tend to me like I was a kid, and it was very nice, it was very nice. <laughs> um, as most of you know, my mother is a minister as well, as my father is also a minister, um, but we disagree theologically a lot, like just about, basically about everything. And they worry constantly that I'm out here spreading lies, and deceiving people, um, and leading them to a path a of, yeah, I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing, just sending people to hell as a ministry of my life. And so, um, on top of that, you know, I've talked about this a little bit before as well, as an as a immigrant's child, our communication skills, our, our communication, our ability to communicate with each other is, is not strong, it's weak, right? Because um, their English is bad, my Korean is worse. And so when we talk, it's like trying, it's like tr- imagine trying to like, talk about something like Christology with like a five-year-old, right, using vo- five-year-old vocabulary words, right, because that's all the Korean I know, and that's all the um, English they know, and so it's, it's always a struggle. And But recently, you know, my mom has been on this like, strange kick, which is like, I'm older now, my kids are older, like, I want to, like, come clean in all the ways I've screwed up their lives, and uh, make sure that they know that I, st- I want them to be happy, and I'm sorry, you know, she was like, she referenced, she's, She referenced some time that she like yelled at me because I had lied to her about going on a date when I was like 14. She like pulled up in a car and like yelled at me out of the car and like drove off. Um, (laughs) And she brought this up while I was laying in bed with the fever. She's like, I'm sorry about that time. I drove (laughs) up and yelled at you and then drove off. She's like, I think that really might have screwed you up. And I was like, I "I really don't want to get into all that right now. but anyway, so as we're, <laughs> as we're having this, she's trying to have these intense conversations. One thing she says to me is, um, so like, what do you actually believe? Like, I don't actually get what you believe. Like, right? because she'll say something like, you know, don't worry, God will take care of that. And I'll be like, yeah, I don't really believe that God does that, you know. And so after many conversations like that, she, she's like, so can you tell me what you actually believe? And I, and I struggle mightily to try to explain it in, in my conglish, as we call it, and... Um, I tried to explain, like, I don't really believe in a God who controls the world in, like, a, like this way, and um, I think the Bible is a human book, influenced by social, cultural, political influences, blah, blah, And she was like, okay, I don't really agree with a lot of that, or I don't really understand a lot of what you're saying, um, but I've, this is my mother talking, I've tried to come to some sort of peace with the idea that while um, I probably disagree with you on a lot of things, a lot of your beliefs, that I want to also accept that you you just may very well be right on a lot of them too, and it's helpful for me to think that way um, because then it allows me to um, feel better about what you're doing and then she says, "Can you also acknowledge that maybe i I might be right on some things as well? And when she asked me that i had I felt this like immense tug of war uh in 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 my fevered heart and um, because you know. Again, m- not to paint my mother in some terrible light, but her religiosity, her theology really represents to me a sort of um, spirituality, sort of way of being Christian that I've uh, been running running from for many years now and um, don't want to be defined by, don't want to even acknowledge it as valid in some ways. And here she was using the using the thing that I take the most pride in, right, which is in some oxymoronic way, like, which is my openness, which is my... Um, my flexibility and like, free-thinkingness towards religion and using that against me, <laughs> right? Uh, can, you, can you be open-minded enough to acknowledge that maybe you're not right on everything, that maybe uh, these things that I believe that you think are so weird that there might be some merit to them? Um, and I wanted to be like, no, you're wrong. Um, but I also recognized that in that reaction that I was being a huge tool. And so, um, you know, I came to a point where I was like, look, um, you're right, I, I, wanna, I wanna say that I believe that, that I wanna give you that, that I wanna believe it myself, that I don't wanna be somebody who's going to be like, no, you're clearly wrong, I gotta figure it out. You're an old Korean woman, doesn't understand the world. Like, that's like a really shitty way to think, not just as a son, but as a, Person, as a minister, as a human being. And so um, I sort of uh, had to break open my own liberal fundamentalism in that moment. I don't really have much more to say um, beyond that. I'm sort of trying to illustrate a point regarding uh, this idea of an opportunity we have right now in this new year to begin again, to be again, to be baptized in some sense, if you want to use that word, into um, a new way of approaching this year, right? A way of approaching this year that says, I think Jesus is someone worth following, and that's good, Um, and that what is worth following about Jesus is important as I um, survey what this year might look like, is this idea of being, not being rigid, of being open again, of finding ourselves curious again, of finding ourselves Um, Humble enough to acknowledge our things that we've thought before that were wrong, that we want to change this year, that can be different for us. To love our parents more and be generous towards them in ways that are sometimes hard. Um, But to, yeah, resolve, to use that language of resolution, of New Year's resolutions, like being resolved to being open open people as we approach this year, and sort of what I'm trying to um, convey to start over to be like beginners. So, as we generally do, we have like little discussions. We started very late today, so I'm gonna make this discussion like very brief. Okay, I want you to turn to one person, and if the numbers are odd, three, you could do a group of three, and share quickly one thing, one time in your life, one time in your life where you have changed your mind about something that was important. One time in your life where you can remember, like, oh, shit, I was wrong. I thought this way about this thing, and now I think this way. I've, I've been able to change and grow and learn. Um, can we do that?